Hi, everybody. This is Adriana Trajani. I'm the host of You Are What You Read. I have the privilege of interviewing luminaries of our times about the books that shaped them from childhood until now. We get everybody from Sarah Jessica Parker to Kristen Hanna, Mitch Albom, Susie Essman, Craig Ferguson, Rain Wilson, Amor Tolls, you name it, they come, they share. New episodes of You Are What You Read drop every Tuesday on Apple, Spotify, or any major streaming platform wherever you listen to your podcasts. The Joyce Kaufman Podcast is being brought to you by Code Red Roofers, South Florida's leading residential and commercial roof experts. Code Red Roofers, roofers that respond. Call 844-4-CODE-RED or visit coderedroofers.com. They were there, and that's the part that is so amazing to us all, right? That they stand on that wall while you're sleeping and while you uh, get to go to the movies and you get to celebrate holidays, they don't have that luxury. And to read this letter that Congressman and Chairman of the House Armed Services Subcommittee on Readiness, our uh, good friend, Representative Michael Waltz, Lieutenant Colonel Michael Waltz, he sent a letter to the U.S. um, Department of Defense because he has a real concern after reading the Government Accountability Office study that was published last week that literally outlines a number of alarming things, alarming findings on the poor living conditions of U.S. military barracks. And it really just, it upset me so much. I read it for the first time yesterday, just before I retired for the evening. And I had to get back up probably a full half hour after I'd originally fallen asleep. I was awakened by this sort of thought running through my head that said that couldn't have been right. I couldn't have read that correctly, but I did. Here's the uh, letter. I'm going to read it with you. It says, Dear Secretary, the U.S. Government Accountability Office study published last week outlines alarming findings on the poor living conditions of the U.S. military barracks across the Department of Defense. The House Committee on Armed Services has long been concerned with the living conditions for our service members, which is why the GAO study was mandated via the joint explanatory statement that accompanied the fiscal year 2022 National Defense Authorization Act. The committee is laser focused on addressing readiness issues across the department and living conditions are a crucial element that impacts the quality of life, recruitment, and retention of our service members. The troubling findings no doubt affect recruitment and retention, areas all services continue to struggle with. The men and women in uniform that serve our nation are our greatest assets. We owe it to them to provide the necessary resources to defend our nation which includes, at the bare minimum, satisfactory living conditions. The results of the GAO study are deeply concerning to the committee. According to the study, service members reported conditions that pose serious risks to their physical and mental health, including mold, broken fire alarm systems, and extreme temperatures, among others. In one barracks, A bad odor was smelled throughout the housing, which was identified as methane gas leaking out of aging plumbing. 
in another barracks, a service member was hospitalized due to a respiratory illness attributed to mold. Most disturbingly, GAO was told that at one installation, service members living in the barracks are responsible for cleaning biological waste that may remain in a room after a suicide. I'm, I'm just going to read that sentence again because this is what woke me up last night. I actually had a vision or a dream or a nightmare is what it was of this actually happening. It says that, I mean, it's even hard for me to, to believe that this is possible, but I know he didn't make it up. Service members living in the barracks are responsible for cleaning biological waste that may remain in a room after a suicide. We're talking about blood and, and perhaps, you know, body wastes that are released upon the death. Reforms within the department are required to address poor barracks and substandard housing conditions, and they must be enacted at a faster pace to address these issues. The GAO study noted five areas of weaknesses across the department that need to be addressed in order to improve barracks living conditions and improve readiness levels across the force. These areas include uniformly assessing barracks conditions across the department, collecting information on the effects of barracks conditions, tracking and reporting funds spent on barracks, establishing fair policies, and providing proper oversight of the barracks programs. Additionally, the GAO published 31 recommendations for the Office of the Secretary of Defense and the Military Services to implement to address these persistent challenges across the five areas previously noted. Persistent challenges, do you know what that means? That means this has been going on for a long time and he anticipates it's going to go on for a lot longer. The Subcommittee on Readiness requests the Office of the Secretary of Defense, in coordination with the military departments, provide the subcommittee a briefing on the current conditions of barracks and corrective measures to address the persistent challenges that are outlined in the GAO study within 30 days of the receipt of this letter. Because if you don't tell them to act, they don't act. And if you don't give them a deadline, the wheels of the Department of Defense and the Department of Energy and the Department of Education and the Department of Labor and all the rest of them, they grind really, really, really slowly. Chronic underfunding of infrastructure sustainment accounts has no doubt contributed to the steady decline in the quality of barracks and the poor living conditions our service members must endure. Your attention to this request will allow the Subcommittee on Readiness to provide effective oversight. Now, let me just, you know, let me just throw this out there. Not that my brilliant listeners haven't already thought this. Why is Secretary Austin and all of these commanders down the chain of command worried about how many transgendered uh, Siamese twins and... and uh, <sighs> Why are they worried about CRT and, and gender transphobias and all the rest of it when we have people who serve this country 
who are forced to clean up the biological wastes of a fellow service member who commits suicide. I was sick to my stomach and you should be too. And you should demand action from, we're lucky, you know, many of us, our congressmen served in the military, like Brian Mast and Michael Walsh, they'll do the right thing. But you can be assured that this morning, the first note I wrote was to my congressman, Jared Moskowitz. And I said, hey, how could this possibly be happening? And what exactly are you prepared to do about it? You got to do the same thing. Don't forget to download the 850 WFTL app on your phone, on your computer. And if you don't want to do that, check out our website, 850WFTL.com, where you can get all kinds of um, insight into the storms that might be coming your way. And uh, you can listen to all the podcasts, including my No Restraint podcast, way before everybody else, if you have the app or you go to the website. I'm going to take a break. When I come back, I'm going to be talking with Chris Chmielinski from Numbers USA because what's happening at our border is such a tragedy. And to have heard Ariana Presley yesterday say the border is secure was another reason to throw up in my own throat. I'll be right back. All these crazy alien stories can't be true, can they? Hey, it's Stephen Diener, host of the Unidentified Alien Podcast. And whether you're new to the conversation or have been looking into it for years, you need to check out the fastest growing alien show out there, the Unidentified Alien Podcast, or UAP for short. There's a crazy amount of alien encounter stories out there from all over the world. And the beauty of it is that I bring them all to you and let you decide what you believe. Download and subscribe to UAP on any of the major podcasting platforms. And you can also find it on UAPpodcast.com. All right. All right. All right. All right. And welcome back. I have with me right now the VP and Deputy Director of Numbers USA, Christian Malensky. Always a pleasure. Chris, how are you doing? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me back on. All right. Well, you're doing well, but uh, the Border Patrol agents, not so much. Uh, you know, what, what, what's going on? Oh, by the way, I wanted to congratulate you. You just passed the bar, didn't you? So, yeah, Border Patrol, you know, they're still dealing with record levels of border crossings. Uh, you know, we had a small dip at the very beginning of the summer, but then they returned to record highs in August, 300,000 encounters along the southern border. And uh, the early indicators say that September is going to be even bigger for Border Patrol in terms of apprehensions and encounters. Well, promise me one thing. Now that you have passed the Texas bar, you're not going to become an immigration lawyer. No, no, definitely not. Uh, Congratulations, by the way. Um, I I tell you, I look at what's going on and I listen to, I don't know if you saw Ariana Presley, the congresswoman yesterday in front of a subcommittee insisting that the border was secured. We've heard that a lot. You know, Mm -hmm. even Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas claims that the border is secure and you know, it's just they, they continuously change the definition of, of what they believe, and, and, uh, and their definition of securing the border is different from probably what the definition how you and I would define what a secure border is. Um, and it started with them really changing the definition of operational control of the border, uh, and that's, that's a legal definition. Congress actually wrote that into the law, and operational control simply means that Border Patrol is aware of every single illegal crossing that uh, happens across the southern border. Uh, but clearly we don't have that. Uh, we're catching a lot of people, but there's still a lot more getting through. And that's that's shown by the fact that we've we had about 900,000 gotaways last year. And I wouldn't be surprised if that number is even bigger this year. 
No, I agree. And what do you think about you know the this administration's response to to this border crisis is basically to reclassify Venezuela for TPS uh, again? You know, the, this is an enormous expense for the American taxpayer that they're not even being properly informed about, in my opinion. Right. They're just continuing to find new ways to allow people who are already here illegally to stay here illegally. And for people who haven't gotten here yet mm-hmm. to, to, to come here, um, you know, they say that they're creating new pathways, but... Constitution clearly reserves the authority for naturalization to the U.S. Congress. U.S. Congress hasn't authorized any new legal pathways since 1990. So when the Biden administration says they're doing that, uh, you know, they're doing it somewhat within the constraints of the law, but they're certainly abusing the authority that's been given to them by Congress. And I would argue that none of the pathways that they've created for people to come in or the ones for them to stay, including some of these TPS programs, uh, well, I would say they at least border on on whether or not they're lawful. Mm -hmm. And what I guess what is really disturbing to me is how so many members of Congress and definitely most of the media don't tell the American public what the cost is, not just for us, but for other countries. I mean, Venezuela has no chance of ever being resurrected as a free country if everyone is enticed to come to America by the promise of taxpayer-funded welfare programs. That's right. And, you know, the the, the cost on American communities, I think it's going to be a few years before we, we even know and or feel exactly what those impacts are going to be. Uh, you look at New York City alone, uh, it's certainly breaking their budget up there just because of the 120,000 or so uh, illegal border crossers that have been relocated there. And, you know, just just a key point, only a small fraction of those were relocated there by were sent there by by Governor Abbott in Texas or even Governor DeSantis down in Florida. Um, most of those were sent either by the Biden administration and even a few Democratic mayors across the country. We know that Denver sent a few thousand uh, folks to New York City on buses. So, mm-hmm. But it's breaking their system, uh, and, and you're going to start to see that in communities across the country, especially ones where illegal aliens have really settled in. Um, they're overcrowding schools. They're putting stress on roads and bridges. They're relying on public services. So local government's going to have to expand police and fire support and, again, overcrowding schools to educate the children that may have come with them as well. Mm-hmm. So huge cost to the taxpayers. But like I said, it may be a couple of years before we, we know exactly what the cost is of this current border crisis. My husband pointed out to me, I guess it was yesterday, that the 304,000 encounters that we we're talking about right now is actually equivalent to the size of like Newark, New Jersey, and that does not count the gotaways. We cannot sustain this not not for much longer. And that was in a single month. Don't forget, right, three hundred four thousand right. encounters in the month of August alone. You know, there were another two hundred thousand plus in 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 September or in July and in, in earlier months. Um, and this is the second time, I believe, since Biden's been in office that we've exceeded 300,000 encounters mm. along the border in a single month. But you're right. I think that number is bigger than all but the top 28 largest cities in the United States, somewhere in that ballpark. So we're adding a lot of new people into this country just through illegal immigration. And that doesn't count uh, all of the legal channels 
You've nice. got 1.1 million new legal immigrants coming still every single year. You've got another 2.5 million foreign visitors coming every single year. And about 850,000 of those that do come legally overstay their visas, according to the most recent DHS report. So they're here illegally. So all said and done, in fiscal year 2022 alone, we had 6.5 million new people come to this country through our immigration channels, whether legal or illegal. Mm -hmm. Wasn't it Milton Friedman, though, who once said, nothing is so permanent as a temporary government program? And that's how they masquerade all these programs. And when you lose Farid Zakaria, you, you pretty, it's like when uh, they lost Walter Cronkite, we knew the Vietnam War had to come to an end. It's crazy. Right, right. You've seen, you've seen a whole lot of, uh, a lot of Democrats are, are starting to jump ship on the Biden administration policies right now. Uh, and you mentioned Venezuela. The, the, term, the temporary protected status, TPS, that was just given to Venezuela. And it, it, it's become apparent that there's nothing more permanent than temporary protected status. And for mm -hmm. those that may not know what that is, essentially it allows people who are in the country illegally from those countries to remain here and to work here legally. Uh, so, mm -hmm. um, you know, that's, it's, it's again, it's one of the abuses with the Biden administration and something that uh, is just continuing to add to the people that are able to continue to stay here. And, and the real harm to the American workers is not, or to the American people is not just the cost of the taxpayers, but also these folks are going to want to start working and they're going right. to compete with American workers, especially those on the lower end of the wage earning scales. Uh, they're going to compete with them directly for jobs. So it's going to hurt some lower skilled Americans here in the United States. No doubt about it. And I guess, you know, for me, one of the things that, that keeps me up at night is the American dream, you know, it's, it doesn't really exist much anymore. Um, and, and we did it to ourselves. You know, the, I've always read that America will not be destroyed from without. It'll be destroyed from within. And, and immigration is one of those issues where you see it clearly. Did you think they addressed it enough in that farce of a debate that took place the other night without the leading contender? I, I really don't think so. I mean, they focused a little bit on the, they, they asked the question, they centered the question around uh, the 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 border crisis that's currently going on, and I understand that because that's what's making headlines, and mm -hmm. you know the debates on Fox Business, so they're able to 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 you know plug their news coverage a little bit too, since that seems to be one of the only networks that that is covering this story. Um, but I would have liked to have seen a little bit more discussion about. What do people think about the fact that, again, as I mentioned in 2022, we had six and a half million people come into the United States, foreign visitors, foreign, foreign nationals come into the United States through our immigration channels. And, you know, Governor Chris Christie throughout the stat that we have apparently six million open jobs. Well, we just brought in six and a half million people. Nice. So uh, I would like to ha see them have that sort of a discussion. And I think that's where you may see a very small handful of the candidates uh, stand out among some others. You're going to see some contrast, let's put mm -hmm. it that way, between some of the candidates, because there are some that just want to increase the numbers indefinitely, and then there are others that understand uh, the impact of bringing in such large amounts of people and the impact that it has on taxpayers and American workers. 
And I don't think anybody has any doubt that the reason Donald Trump went to the White House in 2016 was this issue and the fact that he wasn't afraid to address it and he was even willing to make promises, many of which he kept and many of which he couldn't. And that's going to be the defining issue for the Republican Party, which is why I felt that debate was a total waste of time because, you know, what are they going to say? We're going to do what Donald Trump did? Well, if we're going to do what Donald Trump did, then people are going to vote for Donald Trump. Yeah, nineteen or I'm sorry, in 2012, after Romney lost to to Obama in that election, the Republican Party did an autopsy report, and they found that this is one of the issues. The immigration issue was one of the issues that they needed to to, to maybe loosen up on. Um, you know, have a different, take a different approach to it. And what it did was it ended up leading to the Gang of Eight bill in 2013, which even though it got through the Senate, eventually it was killed in the House of Representatives. And I think if that legislation came to the Senate floor today, it certainly wouldn't pass with or without the ongoing border crisis uh, mm. that, that we've seen under this administration. So, uh, you know, I think what happened was the Republican Party after 2012 with the Gang of Eight, with that autopsy, they moved away from their voter base. Mm-hmm. And just by Donald Trump simply bringing up the issue and talking about a border wall, it, it it more accurately reflected the positions of Republican voters, and and that's why he did well. And I, he did. He shifted. He shifted a lot of minds because there mm-hmm. are certainly some people that were on that debate stage the other night that would have had a different response to the border crisis mm-hmm. uh, maybe four eight years ago. Uh, but Donald Trump changed their opinions on it, and now they are taking a bit of a tougher line on it. Well, uh, good, because uh, somebody's going to have to stand up for the American people, and this immigration issue is the area where they most have to do that. Chris, thank you so much for coming on. Always appreciate it, guys. Go to the website, numbersusa.com, and and find out the numbers, the statistics. Get the information that you need so you can have an intelligent conversation with uh, if you still have any liberal friends left. Thanks, Chris. All right, let me take a break. Um, We've got two segments left. I have something I want to talk about with you first, and then in the end, we'll talk with my son Derek over at TMZ. I actually ran into somebody yesterday at the studio who uh, got himself mentioned on TMZ, which I thought was interesting. Uh, Apparently, TMZ is breaking more news than the New York Times. Stay right where you are. I'll be right back. So I guess it's really like, you know, tacky of me not to say that um, Senator Dianne Feinstein passed away this morning. She was the longest serving woman in the Senate. Um, She was 90 years old. There was lots of talk lately. We we knew she wasn't going to run again, but there was talk about replacing her. And um, now that talk has changed to who will Gavin Newsom appoint to that seat because the governor, um, he gets to appoint someone. And of course, this stupid governor in California had already, you know, made all these uh, liberal nonsense statements about it should be a woman, it should be a black woman, it should be a this, it should be that, instead of like, I'm going to find the best person. No, now we have basically boxed himself into a small um, group that he can select from. I don't know. I I think Karen Bass is probably in the running. I I really don't know. But can you imagine that maybe this should be a warning signal to all of these 
very aging politicos who think they can run and be in office forever. And yes, I'm, I'm talking about the president. And if he weren't still so vital, I'd probably be talking about uh, his greatest opponent, Donald Trump. Are we really going to not pay attention to the fact that older people die? And sometimes they can live very long and, and satisfying lives and shouldn't be under the kind of stress that you're under when you're a president or a senator or a congressman or a governor or any other such thing. But again, I have no idea. The other thing that I was really, uh, so look, I have no, um, no idea what Gavin Newsom's gonna do. I don't speak bad about people who just died. I can't, I'll have plenty of time to talk about what kind of Senator Feinstein was, but uh, you know, she was the longest serving woman in the Senate and she hung in there. She, she voted on Wednesday. She was in Washington this week and then she went home on Thursday and, and she passed away on Friday. I mean, it's pretty incredible. The other story that, um, well, I'm gonna talk about one of them with uh, my son Derek and that is, you know, all of a sudden, they've decided that they're going to charge this uh, guy, Keith D., with murder. Now, not the murder of somebody recently. They're going to charge him with the murder of Tupac Shakur, who died in 1996. Okay. A 60-year-old gang leader has been charged with ordering the shooting and then bragging about it. So I'm going to let Derek explain that because I'm just puzzled by, by the whole thing. I mean, talk about a cold case. That would have to be like the coldest case ever. Um, and one that, that you certainly would have thought there would have been a lot of attention paid to it before. Now there's a story the, I don't know how many of you were watching this nonsense in Philadelphia that went on. You know, they have this influencer in Philadelphia by the name of Meatball. Now, first and foremost, you know, help me out here. Like, why would you select that as your social media name? Meatball? Anyway, Meatball is now selling merchandise, I guess, like t-shirts and hats with her mugshot on it. Her mugshot, which by the way, has tears streaming down her face. And what she is guilty of is inciting all of this nonsense that went on in Philadelphia. 52 looters and rioters were arrested because what started out as a peaceful protest against a judge's decision to dismiss murder charges against a police officer who shot and killed Eddie Azari through a car window. Now, the rioters put on masks and then started breaking into stores, inciting all kinds of mass panic and terror in the city center. The two events, the protest and the riot, were not even the same events. 
But this influencer who basically it took to Instagram is now promoting her merchandise with her mugshot on it. She got a pink hoodie for 45 bucks in case you want it. And she live streamed throughout the entire event to her nearly 200,000 followers on Instagram. Meatball's real name is Daijia Blackwell, and she boasted online about stealing a bottle of Hennessy from a previously raided liquor store. Tell the police if they lock me up tonight, it's going to be lit. It's going to be a movie. Everybody's got to eat. I don't, you know, I just don't get it. It's like we're living in that movie, The Purge. That's the kind of stuff that's going on. Look, am I sympathetic when people think there's been an unjust um, release of a, a, a police-involved shooting? Of course I'm sympathetic, and you can have a protest. But how, well, how does that entail, you know, breaking into stores and turning cars upside down? How, where is, what is that? Destroying innocent people's property in your own community. I just, I just don't get it. So she had this mugshot taken. She's crying, and now she's, uh, she's selling the T-shirts. Well, I guess Donald Trump's team did the same thing with his mugshot, but he wasn't crying in that mugshot. That's an angry-looking Donald Trump in that mugshot. Anyway, I'm going to take a break. Don't forget Eric Erickson comes on right after me, and then we'll begin the weekend in earnest. And, of course, Monday morning, you can expect Jen and Bill will be back here with the South Florida Morning Show at 6 a.m., followed by Brian Kilmeade at 9, Dan Bongino at noon, and me at 3 o'clock. So, you know, I hope you enjoy your weekend, but there's plenty of podcasts to listen to. Stay tuned, though. When I come back, I'll be talking with my son Derek from TMZ, and you don't want to miss that. They say that the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. But in the case of Derek Kaufman, the apple rolled all the way to L.A. The one thing Derek and his mother share in common, however, is the love for breaking news. TMZ is breaking news faster than the New York Times. So sit back and enjoy the news from Hollywood as only the Kaufman family can bring it. All right, and welcome aboard to the last segment of this week's show. And I have to admit, I'm ready for the weekend. How about you, Derek? You ready for the weekend? I am so ready. It feels like it's been a very long week around here. So I'm looking forward to uh, Nixie wants to learn how to play Monopoly this weekend. And that sounds about the speed of things I want to do. <laughs> Listen, uh, can I warn her that you are a terrible loser and that Monopoly was one of the few times I ever wanted to literally punch my own son in the face? Oh, you can warn her that I'm ruthless out there. I buy <laughs> everything. I gobble up all the unloved properties. Okay, that's, that's right. my style. Yeah, <laughs> yes. the deep dark purple ones that no one likes, and I put hotels on them. That's right, Baltic and Mediterranean. I remember it well. That's right. Uh, listen, and how is my little Oompa Loompa? My do- my granddaughter has been cast as the uh, chief Oompa Loompa in Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, right? She is so excited. I mean, we are singing songs that bring me right back to my childhood. She's, you know, I wouldn't say uh, she's tone deaf, but she she struggles with tone. We're not, we're not the best singers in the house, but we sing with gusto. I'll say that. And she's uh, learning her Veruca Salt send off music, and it's really really cute. It is, and you, of course, acted as a child in that. I think you were Mikey TV, right? 
You know, I think I was either Mikey TV or Augustus Gloop. I can't remember what phase <laughs> of my body I was in, but uh, sure, I, I played both roles or was capable of playing both roles. <laughs> you were Mikey TV. I, I have the video to prove it. Um, and it, it's it's just wonderful to see another generation involved in theater, and, and I'm just I'm so proud of her. I can't wait to see her. But, of course, there's other kinds of, there's celebrities besides you, even though I was in the elevator of my studio building yesterday, and some guy said, are you Derek's mother? Not are you Joyce Kaufman, <laughs> but are you Derek's mother? Um, I was on, he said, I yeah, was on well, TMZ. <laughs> It's time to hand off the torch. This is, uh, I guess, I'm the next generation of uh, our family legacy of saying ridiculous things on air. Maybe uh, Dixie or Carter will have to follow suit. Yeah, I think so. Well, he was a gentleman who apparently was taking plants out of some hip-hop wives of Miami or whatever you call those, housewives of Miami's uh, um, family home to move him to her condo. And her husband, Hochstein, Lenny Hochstein, sued the guy for taking the plants. Oh, man, this is such a story. I remember working on this, too. There was a lawsuit that was filed involving mm -hmm. Lenny. Lenny, obviously, the husband of, of Lisa or the ex-husband of Lisa. They've had a, quite a nasty breakup, and it, it got so nasty that Lenny stormed to his own house and said, she can't take those plants. Those are <laughs> you know, several tens of thousands of dollars, and they got into a little dispute. And uh, they're now in a lawsuit with a plant company that was trying to repossess some plants. Yeah, well, I met the owner of the plant company, and he didn't think of me as Joyce Coffin, but I'm Derek's mom, which is fine. <laughs> I'm growing used to it. Um, and I guess one thing, one story that must have caught your interest, because you were a huge Tupac Shakur fan, still are, was really they have finally solved the murder? <laughs> well, they have made an arrest. I mean, this is absolutely massive news because they arrested uh, Keefe D, who's this guy, Dwayne Davis. He was arrested Friday morning. They've been, you know, um, there have been stings on his house and raids and collecting evidence, but no one ever thought that there could be charges related to Tupac's murder. But this guy has gone public several times saying he was in the Cadillac when Tupac and Suge were sprayed with bullets after a night in Vegas. Now, he says he's the uncle of Orlando Anderson, who's a big figure in Tupac lore, because that's the guy who Tupac got into a fight with in, in Vegas before he was killed. Mm -hmm. And the thought is that this guy, KPD, carried out a retaliatory murder on behalf of his nephew. And that's now what he's going to be charged with. They've done press conferences over it. This was a cold case for a long time, but his public statements got him in trouble. Yeah, because he was bragging about it, right? Yeah, you know, it was a cold case. It was considered one of those things that would never uh, see justice in any way. So I guess he got a little bit comfortable. You know, he's allegedly a guy with some very deep gang ties. And there was always speculation that there was this was a turf war between or the Crips and the Bloods. And, you know, KPD has, has some of those ties. And so we'll see. This will now play out in a courtroom mm. uh, because the Clark County Grand Jury has indicted him. Yeah, and the, the uh, police went in there and they took uh, cell phones, a hard drive, um, a whole bunch of uh, of uh, photographs of Tupac. Yeah, it's it's staggering to think that this case, you know, this was way way back in nineteen ninety six. So yeah. you know, evidence evidence decays, uh, witnesses uh, die, witnesses go missing. It's just hard to prove a case that is of this age. So you don't see this too often, but. There's always been interest in solving this one, and it sounds like someone 
uh, is going to have to face charges. So mm-hmm. this is this is a very big day in, uh, in sort of hip hop news. In rap news, but let me ask. I mean, your senator, the longtime senator from California, passed away this morning. She was in Washington on Wednesday voting. Um, is there any work? Yeah. yeah. Very sad day. I mean, she was. Uh, I know. I know her politics are different than yours, but she was a lion of the Senate. I mean, she was the longest-serving female senator in history, um, mm-hmm. and she's got a very, very proud tradition. That I find thing here. You know, she was. Um, she was mayor of San Francisco after Harvey Milk and George Moscone were assassinated, and uh, this she's just a towering figure. And apparently, even though she was 90 years old and in some failing health and. and her mental abilities were being questioned this late in life. She didn't look frail. Even the Mm -hmm. night before, um, you know, she seemed as healthy as a 90-year-old can look, Mm -hmm. uh, and then she suddenly passed away. Mm -hmm. And they're not saying of what, but, I mean, at 90, like, do you really need to say of what? (laughs) Might it just be old age? Yeah, you know, there's going to be speculation, though, because, you know, sometimes when people are this old, they look very frail. They look like they're on death's door for a long time. Like Mm -hmm. Bob Barker looked very old for a very long time, and then he passed away, but didn't seem that way with, with, with the senator. So we'll, we'll have to see what happens. Mm-hmm. Uh, and what about Kevin Spacey? I mean, is this case ever going to go away? Because I thought he had just like avoided all things. Well, he, he, he was found not guilty in the criminal case in London, but this is another allegation. This is a civil suit uh, brought by a therapist who's now suing, saying, you know, he ordered, uh, you know, three massages at a fancy New York hotel and then got aggressive, sexually aggressive, made unwanted advances, tried to put uh, the masseuse's hand on his genitals. These are all allegations. You can say anything in a lawsuit. It'll be interesting to see what Kevin has to say about these. But, you know, there's a lot of smoke with, with Kevin Spacey. And so yeah. people come out of the woodwork. We see a lot of these still with Bill Cosby and Harvey Weinstein. These lawsuits continue for years and years, even when criminal cases are over. Yeah. So let me ask you: Did you did you know who Kelsey was before Taylor Swift showed up at that game? You know, I I knew who he was just because he's won some Super Bowls. Right. <laughs> but he's certainly a bigger name now than he's ever been. I think it's one of the first times I can say in recent memory that a non-quarterback is the most famous football player. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, going right now, we had Aaron Rodgers who went down with the injury. Obviously, Patrick Mahomes on his own team is a big superstar. But Travis Kelsey, Dayton Taylor Swift. That's as powerful as I get. That's up there with uh, Jay-Z and Beyonce. Gotcha. All right, kid, I will talk to you on uh, FaceTime this weekend. My granddaughter has requested a call, so I'll talk to you soon. Sounds good. I'll talk to you soon. All right. Well, that does it for me. I uh, thank you for your time this time. Until next time, my plan is to be back here on Monday at 3 o'clock if it be as will any delays is coming. God bless you and God bless the USA. The Joyce Kaufman Podcast has been brought to you by Code Red Roofers, South Florida's leading residential and commercial roof experts. Code Red Roofers, roofers that respond. Call 844-4-CODE-RED or visit coderedroofers.com.